You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hi, I'm Mr. Beast. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. EST in both Contown's Discord and Startup Clubhouse and Clubhouse. It's free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. Lurk or listen only. Chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage. The coffee shop is open for business. Whether you're exercising on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office, start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the collective cafe where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another. Whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship or coaching so give us a subscribe bit.ly slash collective cafe to go and review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or come and attend live one day warning it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you'll never ever be put on the spot this is the collective cafe good morning good morning everyone Hello, Antisense and InfluenceX. What did you think of Mr. Beast? Mr. Beast reading us in. How about that? That is, that is how famous Kong Town's Discord server is and the Collective Cafe and Clubhouse and all of the above. Just thought a little bit of fun there. Um, it is Thursday today and uh, I won't be in tomorrow, but I will be in today. And I want to get back to our live read of uh, I, I, I see the uh, the smiles. Yeah, it was a little bit of fun as well. It's kind of cool. I'm enjoying Speechify. Um, but what we're going to do now is we're going to continue reading for Obsessions because there's only an hour 30 left of this book and I want to finish it. Uh, according, to, uh, according to my Kindle, I've got an hour 30 left. So... Um, Let's let's just get into it. I'm going to have narrator basically catch us up for those people that are listening to the podcast version um, that want to get a sense as to what they missed. So here are the highlights. Some key insights from the first read of four obsessions of an extraordinary executive include one organizational health is as important, if not more important an organizational intelligence for long-term success. Healthy cultures are better able to adapt and overcome challenges. Two, strong leadership, especially from the CEO, is critical for developing and maintaining a healthy organizational culture. 
three, focusing on a small number of clear priorities, as Richard Connor did with his yellow sheet, can help leaders be more effective. Four, making tough decisions about personnel issues promptly, rather than delaying, is important to avoid harming the organization. Five, prioritizing hiring and onboarding the right cultural fits is an important role for leaders to play directly. Some of the key highlights and takeaways from this session include the annual planning session discussion around potential acquisitions and how the team debated the opportunities and risks, how quickly decisions were made by the team once all perspectives were shared, focusing on moving forward rather than revisiting decisions, the emphasis on core values in guiding decision-making, such as choosing a new office location based on fit with the company's brand identity, Jamie's increasing discomfort in engaging with the leadership team and his failed attempts to build relationships by sowing doubts, the upcoming 360-degree feedback exercise and uncertainty around what feedback Jamie may receive from his peers, some of the key highlights from the live read included, discussing the use of blockchain-based digital collectibles for virtual events and experiences. So this is the final, um, the final read, and that we were obviously just talking about poems, but now going back to, uh, we're going to get back to um, the the book. Sharing stories from interviews on the podcast about legacy, positivity, and unexpected endings. Reading performance reviews of colleagues and focusing on the feedback for Jamie, which highlighted both praise and areas for improvement. An awkward situation arising from Rich's feedback during the reviews and the team's struggles to resolve it. Notable changes in leadership and decision-making at the firm following the feedback meeting. Jamie now working at a competing firm after leaving Telegraph. Well, thank you, narrator, who is... uh about maybe uh, in his late 60s, early 70s, and uh, also his English, thanks to Speechify. That is now bringing you up to speed. Hello to uh, Flies, Ahmed, David, Hassan in Clubhouse. We are going to continue reading Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive, and um, we have identified the first two obsessions. The first discipline was build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. And as I mentioned last week, um, Gino Wickman, who's the founder of EOS, which is where I do my business coaching and my leadership coaching, he's done 2,000 sessions, 14,000 hours. And according to Gino, the number one by far, there is not even a close second determinant of success of a growing company. So we define that as 10 to 250 employees. So if you work for a company of 10 to 250 employees, you're hearing from 14,000 hours of experience, a guy who created an entire operating system, and he says, by far, without question, there is no close second. A strong leadership team is the biggest determinant of success. That's a great way for you to look inside your company and say, do we have a strong leadership team right now? Or is it just one control freak or just me or myself and my partner? Should we be expanding? Should we be delegating and elevating to our unique ability? So discipline one, build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. That's according to four obsessions. Obviously, the EOS point is about why it's so important. 
Uh, discipline two, create organizational clarity. And we spoke about identifying values, mission, major goals, objectives, roles, and responsibility. So we are going to continue. Um, suddenly, Vince seems skeptical again, as though he had just discovered a flaw in Telegraph system. Wait a second. So far, all you've talked about is Telegraph's executive team. How does the stuff work its way into the rest of the organization? Jamie smiled. That's where disciplines three and four come into play. Discipline three. Before Jamie could continue, Vince's phone rang. He picked up the receiver. You're kidding. Vince looked over Jamie with a smile of disbelief. Yeah, put him through. After a brief pause, Vince greeted the caller. How you doing, Rich? Jamie hadn't yet digested the situation. Well, in fact, well, in fact, it has been a while, hasn't it? Suddenly, it hit Jamie. Rich O'Connor was on the line. Vince could see the panic overtake Jamie. Does Rich know I'm here? Jamie thought. This must be a setup. Shit. Vince ended the call. Sure, I'll be around. I'll look forward to it. See you then. And he hung up. He seemed amused by Jamie's sudden loss of confidence. What's the matter? Seen a ghost? He teased. Jamie was a little jumpy. What's going on? How does he know I'm here? Whoa, slow down a little. First of all, nothing's going on. Rich has no idea you're here. Is that normal for you to get a call from him? Vince laughed. Only if you think that once every two to three years is normal. He could see Jamie squirm, so he offered a little reassurance. Stop worrying, Jamie. You said it yourself. There's nothing preventing you from talking to me. Hell, they didn't even make you sign a non-compete clause. You're fine. Jamie couldn't deny that Vince was correct. Still, something seemed wrong, and he persisted. What did he want? I'm not sure, Vince shrugged, but it must be fairly important if he wants to see me. He seemed relieved to be receiving some of Rich's attention. Jamie just sat there, shaking his head. With a new enthusiasm for learning about the final two disciplines, Vince prodded his guess. Okay, let's talk about the next one. It took Jamie a moment to regain his focus, and even then the first sentence out of his mouth sounded as if it was coming from someone in a daze. Right. The third discipline is about communication. Jamie stopped, as if he were done explaining. Okay, uh, what about communication? Jamie finally came round. Oh, well, it's, a, it's about communicating everything we just talked about, the clarity issues. Vince tried to complete the thought. You mean purpose and values and mission and objectives and all of that? Right. The third discipline is over-communicate the identity and direction. Over-communicate? Vince frowned. That sounds like something negative. Jamie was nodding. Yeah, that's what I thought when I first read it too, but I learned later that Rich thinks that in order to communicate something adequately, it has to be communicated so many times that the people doing the communication think they're beating a dead horse. The look on Vince's face seemed to say, that's weird. Jamie continued, remember how I said before, before that every member of Rich's team could recite, and with passion, all of the issues relating to clarity? Vince nodded. Well, that's because the guy says them over and over and over. Jamie seemed to suggest that Rich was, was, really was over-communicating. And the thing is, he makes his entire team do the same thing with their people. And then he does it with the whole company too. I told you, the guy is obsessed. So how do they go about doing all of this? Jamie took a deep breath, as if just thinking about the repetition was making him tired. Well, 
First, there's the orientation of new employees. I was lucky enough to miss out on his spiel, but Rich and a few members of his staff take two hours every other week to tell new employees about the history of the company, the values, the purpose, and everything else. Vince wrote something down, but that's not all, Jamie continued. Every time he gives a speech or sends out an email message or even talks to a small group of people, he repeats the stuff. Vince seemed doubtful. Every time? Well, not in exactly the same way, but he's constantly referring to it. It feels like listening to my grandfather tell the same stories over and over, but apparently no one over there seems to mind. They, they sit and give him their complete attention every time. And his staff does the same thing. Not quite like Rich does, but they've definitely drunk the Kool-Aid. Vince stared out the window, shaking his head slowly. Jamie assumed he was marveling at the ridiculousness of what the ridiculousness of what he was hearing. He had no idea that Vince was beginning to understand. Vince pushed the conversation forward. Earlier you said something about posters, that Telegraph doesn't have any of the stuff on posters around the office. Jamie now seemed a little miffed as he considered the point. That's right. As fanatical as they are about over-communicating, they would not let me have $5,000 to do a campaign around the company's values. I wanted to have some golf shirts done too and make posters that we could use to spruce up their offices. Are you sure it was about the money? Jamie shook his head. No, it was about Rich. He was adamant about not using anything slick or glossy, as he called it, to convey the identity of the company. Why do you suppose, Vince wondered, if Rich had become some sort of eccentric tyrant? He hoped he had. Rich always said that the minute you make any of this feel like a marketing campaign, it loses its, what was the word he used? It loses its groundedness. He would say that it starts to feel like a slogan more than a reality. Uh, I'm just going to, hello to GBT Mad. I'm just going to go ahead and make a note of this because I'm always looking for the names of the actual podcast episode. And so far, the concept of groundedness is definitely a key word. And I can tell you, by the way, I'll take a just brief moment um, to have a little bit of a break as I sip my coffee. Um, that, you know, one of the things that, that I do as a coach is we actually help develop core values and core focus um, as part of the um, what's called the Vision Traction Organizer with EOS. And I can tell you that it's amazing how people in the room, executives, you know, leadership team members, they already start to think of it in terms of taglines. And they come up with things, they go, ah, 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 that's a tagline. We're not creating messaging here or taglines. I, I haven't read this book yet. So, you know, it's funny that I'm seeing this now. But that's what I say just intuitively to them. We're not creating, you know, like little, you know, slick, you know, taglines. So let's continue. At that moment, Jamie and Vince looked up at a frame poster on the wall above the conference table where they sat. It showed a fighter jet racing across the sky. In the background, an enemy plane of some, of some kind could be seen nosediving toward the earth, smoke spewing from its tail. The caption below read, Smarter, better, faster, Greenwich. For a moment, Vince almost felt embarrassed, but he decided that would be a waste of his energy. To break the awkward moment, Jamie stood, went to the whiteboard, and wrote down Discipline 3. 
Discipline 3. Over-Communicate Organizational Clarity. Vince looked down at his watch. Okay, then, let's talk about the last discipline. At that moment, there was a knock on the, there was a knock at the door. And before Vince could respond, his assistant Tracy was already poking her head in. Sorry to bother you, but Rich O'Connor's on his way up. Jamie froze. Discipline four. He's here right now. Jamie was incredulous. You didn't say that he was coming today. Why didn't you tell... Vince laughed. Calm down. He's going to find out sooner or later that you're interviewing here. This is a good chance for you to show me what you've got. There was a knock on the door and Tracy opened it before anyone answered. She showed Rich in and closed the door behind him. Rich said hi to Vince and shook his hand and then did a calm but unmistakable double take when he saw his former vice president of human resources. Well, hello there, Jamie. Jamie was momentarily relieved to see that Rich did not expect him to be there. He was suddenly confident, standing and reaching out his hand to Rich. Good to see you, Rich. But in spite of his controlled exterior, Jamie was a mess inside. Rich smiled and turned to Vince. Thanks for seeing me on such short notice. Can I talk to you for a few minutes? Sure, Vince replied. He looked at Jamie. Could you wait outside? Tracy will get you something to drink. Rich added in Jamie's direction. This will only take a few minutes, if that. Take your time, Jamie smiled and headed for the door. Once it had closed, Rich began. I have a proposition for you, Vince. As always, Rich cut straight to the point. Aren't you a little curious about Jamie being here? Vince seemed pleased to have one of Rich's former employees in the office for a change. Rich was unfazed. I'm assuming he's interviewing for a job. He is. Should I hire him? Rich shrugged and smiled. Well, my legal counsel would tell me that I'm not supposed to give out recommendations anymore, positive or negative. I guess these days, people can sue you if you say the wrong thing. They chuckled. But I will say this, Vince. Make sure you give him lots of support and direction. Jamie doesn't have the world's greatest sense of self-esteem, if you know what I mean. Vince nodded, both to acknowledge the accuracy of Rich's assessment and to thank him for the advice. He was amazed that his, adv- ad- that his adversary seemed completely comfortable with the notion that one of his recent senior staff members might join Greenwich. Anyway, what's your proposition? I want to buy your retail practice. Tom tells me you have about 10 clients and 15 employees. Vince was surprised that Rich knew anything about Greenwich. That's pretty close. Why retail? Well, we think it makes sense for us, given our strength in manufacturing and distribution. And I thought that rather than go through the process of staffing up an organization from scratch and fighting to take away your clients, we could talk about whether the retail market is important to you. Rich paused, hoping for some sort of clue as to the answer. If it isn't, then I thought it might be easier for both of us if we did a deal. The market for good people is so tight, and that means I'd likely be recruiting some of your retail consultants anyway. Again, he paused. This just seemed like it would be easier. Vince couldn't decide if he were more amazed at Rich's candor or his confidence. How can he just come right out and tell me, of all people, about his strategic intentions? Well, retail is not one of the vertical markets we see as a major part of our long-term strategy. Why am I telling him this? Rich's openness seemed to be contagious. I'm curious to know why you think it is. Rich smiled. Now that's probably more information than we need to be sharing, they laughed. How many of my people would you want to take? Well, that depends on how, on how the interviews go. I'm, I'm guessing we'd hire at least half of them if they're as good as we think they are. And how much money are we talking about? 
I don't know. Rich genuinely seemed as though he had not thought about a number. Maybe three times your annual revenue from retail? Does that seem fair? It was just enough for Vince to consider the deal, but not enough to make it an easy decision. When do you need an answer? Rich thought about it. I don't know, uh, two weeks? Vince agreed. I'll call you. The rivals shook hands. Thanks, Vince. Rich looked out the office window and with the excitement of a 12-year-old said, That is one heck of a view. Vince smiled. As hard as he tried, he could not detect even the slightest hint of sarcasm or, or uh, um, condescension in his comments. Gee, it took me a while to get there. Or condescension in his comments. For a moment, Vince considered entertaining the notion that Rich might actually be more likable than the enemy he had constructed in his mind. Unwilling to challenge such a fundamental belief, however, he decided instead that his rival was probably holding something back. Vince walked his guest to the door. As he opened it, Rich suddenly caught sight of the whiteboard. He saw three of the four items from his list written in what looked like Jamie's handwriting. Although Vince felt slightly embarrassed more than anything, he was curious to see how his rival would respond. Facing toward the open door, Rich called Jamie in from the lobby. As soon as he heard Rich's voice, Jamie remembered that he had failed to erase the whiteboard. When he arrived, Jamie immediately saw his former boss staring at the whiteboard. He thought for a second that he was going to be sick. Rich spoke first. What is this? His voice was without emotion. Jamie stammered. Well, I was just showing, I mean, I was uh, explaining to Vince why the company Telegraph, I mean, has such a strong sense of mercifully Rich interrupted. Do you think this is right? Even Rich was beginning to get a little uncomfortable now. Listen, it looks like you two need to talk. I'm going to leave you alone for a few minutes. He left the office, closing the door behind himself. Jamie was about to spontaneously combust. Well, I didn't think that it was necessarily a problem. Rich pretended not to hear Jamie's pathetic plea for mercy. He interrupted again. Because you've got discipline too wrong. He walked to the whiteboard and added strategy to the list that accompanied the second discipline. If you don't get clear on the strategy piece your goals and roles aren't going to be aligned. Jamie was stunned with relief. Out in the lobby, Vince was reading the Wall Street Journal and waiting for the conversation inside to end. Almost after 10 minutes, the door opened. Rich came out looking calm. Jamie stood behind him, looking like a man who had just escaped a death death experience. Rich again shook Vince's hand. Give me a call when you're ready to talk. Thanks, Rich. Vince and Jamie watched Rich get into an elevator and then they turned back into the office. Once once inside, both men recited the same line simultaneously. So? They both laughed nervously. Jamie recounted how the situation had been resolved. Then Vince turned and saw the whiteboard. The fourth discipline was now written clearly, but not in Jamie's handwriting. Discipline four. Reinforce organizational clarity through human systems. He then noted additional text on the other parts of the board, written in the same script. It said, be cohesive, be clear, over-communicate, reinforce. Vince struggled for words. Did he write this? He already knew the answer, but had to ask the question just to acknowledge the ridiculousness of the situation. Jamie nodded his head, and motioned toward the whiteboard. Yeah, he filled in part of discipline two here, added the fourth one, and wrote an abbreviated version of all four that he said is easier to remember. 
The two men stared at the board, shaking their heads. I told you, said Jamie, the guy's nuts. As, as relieved as he was, he could still not bring himself to be completely gracious toward Rich. Refocusing after the episode, Jamie and Vince sat down again at the conference table. Vince began, so? So what? Are you going to explain the fourth discipline to me? Laughing as if to say, what else are we going to do? Jamie began. He repeated the discipline. Reinforce organizational clarity through human systems. This one is the most important in terms of preserving the other three. Vince was having a hard time listening. After the encounter with Rich, his excitement about the list and its importance seemed to, seemed to have diminished somewhat. Rich no longer seemed like a mysterious figure in Vince's eyes, but rather an ordinary man obsessed with a basic philosophy. In fact, Vince almost felt ashamed about his excitement about, around learning Rich's secrets. This isn't so hard, he thought to himself. Vince gladly welcomed back his sense of superiority and contempt. With a new air of skepticism, he said, Sorry, Jamie, I just don't get this last one. Well, Rich would say this one is about building a structure and a system to preserve Telegraph's culture. He used to say that culture lives in the way things get done or something like that. Culture lives in the way things get done or something like that. You mean like operations, business policies? Not exactly. Remember, the structure he's thinking about has to do with human systems and operations. Things like interviewing and hiring people, managing their performance, rewarding them, and Jamie almost winced before finishing the sentence, letting them go. Vince was still intent on getting more information, but now, in a way that seemed to be challenging the validity of the concepts. We do all of these things. How is Telegraph any different? Well, first, there are those damn interviews. Jamie's contempt made Vince curious. What do they do? What don't they do? He complained. They put every candidate through at least five interviews. They insist on using a core set of behavioral questions, asked in slightly different ways by different people, and then they make all the interviewers get together in a room and debrief. Jamie paused. They do this for vice presidents, consultants, even receptionists. You mean interviewers can't ask their own questions? Well, they can, but they have to spend so much time on the behavioral stuff that it makes the process seem like work. Jamie recognized the ironic nature of the comment given his career choice. I mean, it shouldn't have been so hard. It was just too structured. Vince smiled. You really hated it, didn't you? Well, I guess it was because I had to enforce the system, and whenever I tried to change it, they stopped me. I thought I should get to decide how to, how to go about staffing the organization. Vince frowned. What else? You mean about interviewing? No, I think I've got it. What about, Jamie interrupted him, performance management? That was another part of my responsibility. I had to make sure that every manager at every level did a quarterly management report for each of their people. It was a nightmare. Vince laughed. Yeah, you were probably bugging the hell out of everyone trying to get all of their forms in on time. Jamie shook his head. No, pretty much everyone did their forms on time. It was only one page with three simple questions on it. And no one complained about it, at least not to me. Vince was surprised. One page? Come on. Jamie thought about it. Well, I guess it was more than that. Vince seemed pleased as though he had been vindicated in some way. Until Jamie explained... There was a question on the back too, but just for discussion. So I guess you could say that it was two pages. 
Vince's vindication disappeared. Okay, so what were the three? What were these questions? I don't suppose there were. I don't suppose there were four. Jamie laughed. Actually, there were four. The two men shook their heads as if to say, "That is one weird company." Vince motioned for Jamie to tell him more. The questions were: What did you accomplish? What will you accomplish next? How can you improve? That's it. Not quite. The question on the back was. Are you embracing the values? So why was this such a nightmare for you? Because I hated doing these things for my employer, my employees and having Rich do it for me. Because I hated doing those things for my employees and having Rich do it for me. How long could it take to fill out a one-page form? Longer than you think, because everyone takes it so seriously. But it wasn't filling out the form that was the problem. It was the follow-up discussion. Before Vince could ask, Jamie explained, every manager had to spend 90 minutes in a room with each of his employees going over the report. Didn't they run out of things to talk about? 90 minutes is a long time. That's the funny part. Rich used to say that he wanted people to run out of things to talk about because that was when they would start talking about the important things. Rich shook his head. He's an odd bird. So people actually did this. They spent 90 minutes together with every direct report every quarter. Jamie nodded his head as if to say, unbelievable, isn't it? Well, they must not be busy enough over there if they can waste that much time doing, doing management reviews. Vince seemed to be regaining his confidence and losing his interest in the magic of Rich O'Connor. He stood up st- and stretched his arms. It's no wonder they're not growing faster. I think I've heard enough. Jamie frowned. What did you say? I've heard enough, but I appreciate you ta- your taking the time. Jamie interrupted him. No, before that, you said something about their growth. Yeah, I've often wondered why they haven't grown faster. For all of their supposed advantages, we're still almost as big as they are. Jamie's demeanor suddenly changed. He seemed stunned, but in an almost sad kind of way. Hmm. Vince noticed the change. What do you mean, hmm? I think you better sit down. He's going to have a sip of coffee. I hope you're all enjoying this. Tim, Zampo, Mercy, Pat- uh, Patricia, and a name that I cannot pronounce in Clubhouse and looks like uh, Sanya uh, is in the room, GPT Mad. Um, I hope you're enjoying this. This is, uh, we've got 58 minutes left in the book. So we should finish it next week, although next week is another crazy week. Um, coaching on Wednesday. Sorry, coaching on Tuesday, and then actually I'm traveling Thursday and Friday um, for our EOS. We have something called a QCE, which is the Quarterly Collaborative Exchange. So I'll be in Dallas, um, the whole company coming together. The realization. Vince was not about to sit down. Why? Jamie smiled, not so much amused as surprised and concerned, So you really don't know why they aren't bigger. Well, I don't think they're as good as we are at winning business. I mean, whenever it comes down to a head-to-head competition between us and them in the final stages of bidding, they win most of the time. But it seemed that more often than not, they don't even get to the final round. They just disappear after the first round of discussions. That's it? Jamie asked. Well, I do think they waste a lot of time on all this internal stuff and that has to detract from their ability to grow more aggressively. 
No one has that kind of time to waste these days. Jamie knew that he was going to have to break the news to him, and Vince sensed this. What? What? What am I missing? Vince finally sat down, and Jamie leaned forward in his chair. Vince, they are growing as fast as they want to grow, he paused, but Vince didn't understand, so he continued. They hit their revenue and profitability targets on the nose almost every quarter. So? Vince, they turn away more business than they take. Rich doesn't want to grow any faster right now. Revelation was just beginning to show on Vince's face. So Jamie went on. They disappear in the first round of of those situations because they opt out. They only take on clients that they want to take on. You get most of those deals by default. And then Jamie delivered the final blow. Telegraph is not trying to be bigger than you. They aren't competing that way. Vince leaned back in his chair in disbelief. Jamie wanted to enjoy having the upper hand, but he couldn't deny that he felt sorry for Vince. He looked like a broken man. Part 4. The Resolution The Decision Over the course of the next two weeks, Vince experienced a struggle within himself about whether he would embrace or reject Richard Connor's methodology. Rejection 1. After disparaging his rival for so long, he did not have the strength to suddenly change course and let the success of his own firm rest on the ideas of a competitor. Vince decided that he would win on his own turn, so he politely rejected Rich's offer to, to purchase the retail division and dedicated himself more than ever to growing the firm. During the months that followed, Vince experienced sporadic periods of disappointment and frustration, especially when he saw examples of how his firm was not measuring up to Telegraph and its approach. For a while, he learned to ignore those, these feelings, but over time they began to haunt him. Vince could not bear to spend time with his undeniably dysfunctional executive team, and the lack of any sense of culture or values became increasingly apparent. To make matters worse, during moments of weakness, he suspected that relief might be just four disciplines away. But even if he believed in them, those disciplines didn't seem accessible to Vince. After all, he didn't go into business so he could referee executive team meetings and deliver employee orientation. Vince loved strategy and competition, and that was it. He certainly didn't have the stomach for focusing his energy on something as soft and uncertain as organizational health. For the first time in his career, Vince felt he was losing his passion for business. He never thought he would even consider what he was about to do. White flag. Just two months and three weeks after coming to terms with his decision, the deal was complete. Vince Green had sold the firm he had founded almost 10 years earlier. Although he had offered it to his rival, he knew that Rich would decline, so instead the firm was swallowed up by a large East Coast consulting firm. Within a year, Vince grew bored and started another firm, this time a software company. Although he had worried about whether he would be able to reestablish his passion for business, he found the fresh start, coupled with a new openness about the four disciplines, gave him just the energy he needed. During this time, Rich decided to grow Telegraph at a quicker pace than before, partly by acquiring a few speciality consulting firms. Within three years, the firm had doubled in size, and Rich became less involved in client-related work than ever before. Instead, he found that he needed to spend even more time on the four disciplines in order to maintain the success of his now larger firm. However, there was one client, Greenware Systems, that Rich took special interest in, 
whenever he had time. In fact, he even accepted the CEO's invitation to sit on its board of directors. As for Jamie, he was now working for a rival consulting firm heading the HR department. Tom often joked that Telegraph would have gladly paid the recruiter finder's fee for landing him the job. Rich surprised himself by quietly hoping that Jamie would find a way to succeed. Afterward, afterward, why did Rich O'Connor succeed? Some would say that he was an extraordinary man. I'm not so sure. While Rich certainly had a number of amazing qualities, in many ways he was quite an ordinary man. He had faults and problems like anyone else. It was his appreciation for simplicity and discipline that made him an extraordinary executive. This is good news for all of us who don't quite measure up to Rich just yet. There is hope for us because we too can become extraordinary leaders if we only embrace the fact that success is not as much a function of intelligence or natural ability, but rather of commitment to the right disciplines. But there is the potential for bad news here too. We can become poor leaders, more like Vince or even Jamie, if we let ourselves become distracted by overly tactical and political matters. The choice is ours to make every day. Organizational health, the model. So it looks like the rest of the book is actually like rubber hits the roads, you know, news we can use. So let's get into that. And um, to on, to answer the question, uh, Coven Deity, is this a pod... Is this a podcast I can take or an audiobook? So I'll, I'll just take a moment and just explain a little bit about the Collective Cafe. Um, or I can have Mr. Beast do it, um, which is over here. Hi, I'm Mr. Beast. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. EST in both Contown's Discord and Startup Clubhouse and Clubhouse. It's free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. Lurk or listen only. Chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage. The coffee shop is open for business. Whether you're exercising on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office, start your day off on the right foot. On the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the collective cafe where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another. Whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe. Bit.ly slash collective cafe to go and review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or come and attend live one day. Warning. It is addictive. And remember, it is a safe, welcoming space. And you'll never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe. And that is, uh, and, and I just put into the, into the back chat, Monday we talk marketing, Wednesday entrepreneurship, Tuesday and Thursday live reads, Friday open mic. No, I'm from South Africa. And... Hello to Moni and John, Kuhn, Avid and Jenny. Um, for those of you that are in Clubhouse, I'm uh, going to hang around in Clubhouse for a while um, and then probably move over to Nelson Apiga's chatter platform and uh, be one of the uh, you know, first and early creators 
that are actually there. So if you do want to stick around with the Collective Cafe, um, the best way to do that is is you can actually come into, um, I'm actually going to tr- try and get like an easier URL or QR code. Uh, my friend Will is uh, running uh, Conktown's Discord server. And so we're kind of tapping into, you know, and just feeding and pouring into that community at the moment. So hello to all of you from Conktown. Um, but if you want to kind of get a sense as to what I'm doing, I'm also at Jaffe Juice on Twitter. And uh, I'll probably post when I do leave Clubhouse, um, I'll let you know that I'm leaving it as well. And hello to Steve, who's one of our regulars as well. The Collective Cafe is free. There's there's really no bait and switch. We're never going to charge for it. Um, and the idea is just for us to get smarter every morning and, um, you know, and just learn something new every day, be inspired, be educated. Um, and generally, the, the, the sense is it's business marketing, but also entrepreneurship um, as well. I'm, I'm a business coach and a leadership coach. And this book, Four Obsessions of, uh, of an Extraordinary Executive, is actually required reading for all of our clients. So it was a good opportunity for me to do this. And, and I send them the links as well. So let's continue. Um, it may actually make sense because there are 50 minutes left in the book for us to just finish the book tomorrow. But we'll see. It depends on if any of you want to come onto stage, open mic, or have any questions for me, um, etc. Um, so, um, looks like Will just requested to speak. You should be able to, Will, you should be able to uh, come up yourself. This is your Discord server. Um, so, I'm going to bring you up and then we'll keep going. Hey, Will, good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah, I, I always forget. I always hit, I always push that wrong hand there. <laughs> and I know I can bring myself. Hey, I really appreciate you, brother. I just wanted to say that. Uh, I've been kind of multitasking as you've been reading. And, uh, you know, honestly, uh, when we start the next book, I, I, I definitely need to get the book so I can kind of read it ahead of time. Uh, I know you always provide some really valuable uh, content. Um, and I, I really appreciate you. I just wanted to say that out loud for everybody that was listening. I know you've got people listening on Clubhouse and in here as well. Uh, and so I just wanted to say thank you, brother. No, you're welcome. I mean, you're you're a real good man. You're a good human being. And so I'm happy to um, support you in any way that I can and um, and just, you know, grow our communities together. You know, to, there are too many people out there that where there is bait and switch and there's always some kind of, uh, you know, automated funnel sucking you in and taking your hard-earned money. So I hope we can all win together. Um, so let's... Let's continue. Let's go a little bit further and talk about this because this is called putting the disciplines into practice, a summary and self-assessment. Um, and what I'll try and do is if there are like, you know, questions, or whatever, I can, I can scan them and, um, you know. And by the way, Speechify is so amazing that I could literally get Speechify to read this to us as well. Um, so it's kind of crazy. Um, so let's, let's just continue for a few minutes. And by the way, if anyone else wants to come up and ask any questions, go for it. Most executives spend considerable time and energy in search of competitive advantage, usually in areas like strategy, technology, marketing, and other fields that are based on intellectual property or capital. This is smart. Unfortunately, the ubiquity and flow of information has reduced the sustainability of these types of advantages such that companies enjoy shorter periods of differentiation than ever before. This trend will certainly continue, and most likely it will accelerate. However, there is one competitive advantage that is available to any company that wants it and yet is largely ignored. What is more, it is as sustainable as it has ever been because it is not based on information or intellectual property at all. What I'm referring to is something I call organizational health. 
and it occupies a lot of the time and attention of extraordinary executives. A healthy organization is one that has less politics and confusion, higher morale and productivity, lower unwanted turnover, and lower recruiting costs than an unhealthy one. No leader I know would dispute the power of these qualities, and every one of them would love his or her organization to have them. Unfortunately, most executives struggle with how to go about making this happen. The first step is to embrace the idea that, like so many other aspects of success, organizational health is simple in theory, but difficult to put into practice. It requires extraordinary levels of commitment, courage, and consistency. Those three C's, commitment, courage, and consistency. However, it does not require complex thinking and analysis. In fact, keeping things simple is critical. It can even be summarized on a single page, C-facing page. The second step is to master these fundamental disciplines and put them into practice on a daily basis. The remainder of this book is dedicated to helping you understand how to do just that. Discipline one, build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. Building a cohesive leadership team is the most critical of the four disciplines because it enables the other three. It is also the most elusive because it requires considerable interpersonal commitment from an executive team and its leader. So what I'm going to do is um, uh, GT said, got to run a few errands and tasks to compete. I'll join if it's still open when I'm done. Have fun, guys. And be sure to come tomorrow because we might actually just finish this tomorrow. I'm going to take a photo of that that page and I'm just going to post it in our Discord um, for those of you that are in in Clubhouse, it's a little bit harder um, to do because I can't really do that. But um, I'm just going to go ahead and post this for people that are. Uh, let me just make sure that I a community chat there. I'm just going to post that for you. Um, this is the one page summary. Hold on. Sorry about the slowness. There we go. So that's your one-page summary, your your kind of cheat code in a way, um, and and what it basically. So for those of you that are on Clubhouse, I'll kind of read it to you so you don't feel like you kind of missed out on that. Um, it says, "Discipline one: build and maintain a cohesive leadership team." And these are the proof points: cohesive teams build trust, eliminate politics, and increase efficiency by dot 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 knowing one another's unique strengths and weaknesses openly engaging in constructive ideological conflict, holding one another accountable for behaviors and action, and actions, and finally committing to group decisions. So cohesive teams will trust, eliminate politics, and increase efficiency by knowing one, one another's unique strengths and weaknesses, openly engaging in constructive ideological conflict, holding one another accountable for behaviors and, and actions, and finally committing to group decisions. The essence of a cohesive leadership team is trust, which is marked by an absence of politics, unnecessary anxiety, and wasted energy. Every executive wants to achieve this, but few are able to do so because they fail to understand the roots of these problems, the most damaging of which is politics. Politics is the result of unresolved issues at the highest level of an organization. Uh, This is like a really, really powerful quote, everyone. The definition of, of corporate politics. Politics is the result of unresolved issues 
at the highest level of an organization. Unresolved issues, right? Going back to the book we're reading on Tuesday, Crucial Conversations, the lag, not being able to be open and honest and doing it in a timely manner. And attempting to curb politics without addressing issues at, at, a, at the executive level is pointless. So attempting to curb politics without addressing these issues is pointless. Although most executives I've worked with are aware of the existence of some political behavior within their teams, they almost always underestimate its magnitude and the impact it has on the company and its people. This blindness occurs because what executives believe are small disconnects between themselves and their peers actually look like major rifts to people deeper in the organization. That's another huge point here. You may not think it's a big deal, right? Sometimes when you cut someone off or you, you know, maybe disrespect them or you talk over them, but people kind of see those, you know, there's, there's a, a quote from someone who was on my show. For those of you that don't know, I have a talk show called Joseph Jaffe is Not Famous. Um, and the quote is, at scale, cracks become chasms. So what you may perceive as a crack has the, and can and often will become a chasm. And when those people deeper in the organization try to resolve the differences among themselves, they often become engaged in bloody and time-consuming battles with no possibility for resolution. And all of this occurs because leaders high in the organizations fail to work out minor issues, usually out of fear of conflict. The commonness and severity of this problem make the point worth repeating. When an executive decides not to confront a peer about a potential disagreement, he or she is dooming employees to waste time, money, and emotional energy dealing with unsolvable issues, unresolvable issues, sorry. This causes the best employees to start looking for jobs in less dysfunctional organizations and it creates an environment of disillusionment, distrust and exhaustion for those who stay. Cohesive leadership teams, on the other hand, resolve their issues and create environments of trust for themselves. And thus, for their people, they ensure that most of the energy expended in the organization is focused on achieving the desired results of the firm. What is more, I found that outstanding employees rarely leave these organizations. What does a cohesive leadership team look like? More than anything else, cohesive teams are efficient. They arrive at decisions more quickly and with greater buy-in than non-cohesive teams do. They also spend less time worrying about whether their peers will commit to a plan and deliver. One of the best ways to, to recognize a cohesive team is the nature of its meetings. Passionate, intense, exhausting, never boring. For cohesive teams, meetings are compelling and vital. They, they are forums for asking difficult questions, challenging one another's ideas, and ultimately arriving at decisions that everyone agrees to support and adhere to in the best interests of the company. Within the cohesive teams that I work with, Members hold their peers accountable for behaviors that are not conducive to team performance. No one reads email or does ancillary busy work during meetings, even when the issue is on the table, when the issue on the table is not directly related to them. Everyone is involved in a wake. If an issue hits the agenda and it is not compelling or critical, team members question whether it is worth their time. Finally, cohesive teams fight, but they fight about issues not personalities. Most important, when they are done fighting, they have an amazing capacity to move on to the next issue with no residual feelings. In those instances, when a fight gets out of hand 
and drifts over the line into personal territory, and this inevitably happens, the entire team works to make things right. No one walks away from a meeting harboring unspoken resentment. Unfortunately, many executive teams never achieve this. They yearn for easy, peaceful staff meetings as a, re- as a retreat from their hectic schedules. What they end up getting are tedious and uninspiring show-and-tell sessions where department heads review the details of their responsibilities. This is so true. And, and you know, I just did a review with one of my clients of what we call the Level 10 meeting. That's, that's EOS's version. And I say this is not a status meeting. Right, this is not a status meeting. This is this is a, a a leadership collaboration session where we solve issues and where we kind of get a a really good, accurate pulse and snapshot on the health of our organization. So I love this fact that you know this this idea of you know if you if you basically if you look at your your meetings, your leadership meetings, your management meetings, your team meetings, and what you basically just have are tedious and uninspiring show-and-tell sessions where department heads review the details of their responsibilities, you know that you're in the wrong place. Is achieving cohesiveness difficult? Sure. A better question would be, is it worth the effort? Whether you measure the results in terms of increased productivity, reduced turnover, higher qualities of work life, or simply less time in unproductive meetings, the answer is always a resounding yes. How is a cohesive leadership team built? The most important activity is the building of trust. And one of the best ways to do this is what I call getting naked. This is not a new age exercise involving group hugs and holding hands, but rather a general process of getting to know one another at a level that few groups of people, unfortunately, even more families ever achieve. Let me read that again. Getting naked. Um, This is a general process of getting to know one another at a level that few groups of people, unfortunately, even many families ever achieve. There are many effective ways to get naked. No single method is enough, but none is specifically required. What is most important is that team members get comfortable letting their colleagues see them for who they are. No pretension, no positioning. Although there are certainly unstructured approaches to building a cohesive team, I suggest taking a look at some of the proven methods and philosophies first. Myers-Briggs, type indicator, often referred to as the MBTI. This is a profoundly effective tool for helping team members understand one another's behaviors and avoid dangerous misattributions. It has been tested and used by millions of people, and there is no shortage of material relating to applying it to teams. I found that even the most skeptical executive teams find significant lasting benefit from using this this tool. Two, the wisdom of teams. John Katzenbach and Douglas Smith wrote one of the most compelling, no-nonsense approaches to building teams that I've seen. The wisdom of teams and its companion volume, Teams at the Top, outline the basic requirements for for real teamwork and high-performing teams. Number three, the five temptations of a CEO. I wrote this book to help members of a leadership team self-identify their temptations and discuss how they might go about addressing them in the context of the team. It provides unique insights into the strengths and weaknesses of colleagues, especially as they relate to leadership within the context of an organization. Personal histories. Although it might sound like a touchy-feely exercise, I found that it is remarkably helpful 
for members of a leadership team to spend time talking about their backgrounds. People who understand one another's personal philosophies, family histories, educational experiences, hobbies, and interests are far more likely to work well together than those who do not. <coughs> and given the large portion of our lives spent at work, <coughs> getting to know peers on a meaningful level can go a long way towards making, uh, making work fulfilling. Now, achieving cohesiveness does not happen only during an off-site meeting or on a fixed schedule. In fact, a key part of building trust is about living through difficult times. Like a marriage or any other meaningful relationship, the only way to build strength is to share experiences that require everyone to rally and overcome obstacles. The most cohesive teams I know have faced ugly issues and even come dangerously close to dissolution, but by surviving, they develop a level of trust that is hard to break. The key for a leader is to remind team members why difficult times are worth tolerating and what the rewards will be. Once a team has achieved some level of cohesiveness, its ability to maintain, to, to maintain it rests on its willingness to continually address core issues and its discipline around having frequent, regular, and in-person meetings. While travel schedules and demanding workloads make it more and more difficult to get together regularly, it is nevertheless critical that an executive team not give in to the temptation to scale back meetings. Failing to honor meeting schedules, something that is all too common in most organizations, is the first sign that a leadership team is about to experience problems. In terms of the effectiveness of a particular team, my experience indicates that a group's cohesiveness has far more impact on success than its collective level of experience or knowledge. In, I'll repeat that again. Uh, in terms of the effectiveness of a particular team, my experience indicates that a group's cohesiveness has far more impact on success than its collective level of experience or knowledge. I've worked with leadership teams filled with industry luminaries and accomplished executives who could not compete with less experienced and relatively unknown teams that were able to create environments of trust and passion. Quite simply, cohesiveness at the executive level is the single greatest indicator of future success than any organization can achieve. Um, uh, uh, Zui says, um, don't have much time, I'm at work too. Uh, next time I'll be there. So as long as you've got time to make those meetings, that's the point, right? That's the key point here. And it's very, very interesting when you think about when you think about this idea that just your commitment to a meeting and making sure <coughs> if you have a standing meeting that you commit to that meeting. You know, if you want to put it a different way, showing up. Showing up is 90% of the, of the or 80% of the battle. Show up. You know, show up with the best version of yourself, with your most authentic self, with your naked self. That's the message um, that we're getting here. Let let me uh, just go a little bit extra for those of you that can make it, and I'll just uh, finish this first discipline. For those of you that are new, A-Tuck, Jitterbug, or anyone, uh, G-Money, anyone who's come in up, Moni, um, uh, Avid, you can actually get this entire first of all if you're in clubhouse there is a re, there is a replay um, but you can subscribe to the podcast version of it um, which is bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go so uh, let's bring this home um, how do you assess your team for cohesiveness ask yourself these questions one are meetings compelling are the important issues being discussed during meetings 
Every company has interesting, difficult issues to wrestle with, and a lack of interest during meetings is a pretty good indication that the team may be avoiding issues because they are uncomfortable with one another. Remember, there is no excuse for having continually boring meetings. Number two, do team meeting do team members engage in unguarded debate? Do they honestly confront one another? Every executive team should be engaged and passionate about what it does, regardless of its business. Even teams that get along well together should be experiencing regular conflict and intense debate during meetings. If this is not the case, it is likely that there is a lack of trust and an unwillingness to confront one another. Even the best teams have moments when members need to hold one another accountable for their attitudes or actions. Holding back during these times is a sure sign of future problems for the team. Number three, do team members apologize if they get out of line? Do they ever get out of line? When people confront one another, discomfort inevitably occurs. Sometimes people get emotional. Sometimes they say things they don't mean. When this happens, it is key that they are comfortable apologizing to one another. Um, as, As soft as it may seem, teams that can genuinely forgive and ask forgiveness develop powerful levels of trust. Four, I think it's number four. Yeah, four. Do team members understand one another? Members of cohesive teams know one another's strengths and weaknesses and don't hesitate to point them out. They also know something about one another's backgrounds, which helps them to understand why members think and act the way they do. Five, the last point, do team members avoid gossiping about one another? Talking about a colleague who is not present is not gossip. Gossip requires the intent to hurt someone and it is almost always accompanied by an unwillingness to confront a person directly with the information being discussed. Ironically, members of cohesive teams are not overly concerned about the prospect of their colleagues discussing them in the absence because they know it is in the best interest of the team. They trust each other and know that true gossip will not be tolerated. If you answered no to any of these questions, you may have identified an opportunity to make your team more cohesive. The best way to begin this process is to discuss the questions presented here with the members of your team and ask them what their answers would be. Getting members to agree on which of these issues is most challenging for the team is the first step toward addressing it. And that actually is discipline one. So we're going to stop there. I will tell you, uh, last point for me today is that one of the um, you know one of the tests is called Colby. I think it's K O L B E. And when we become implementers and coaches with EOS, we take the Colby. So I came out as what's called a three three uh, three three eight five, um, which is um, three fact finder, three follow through, eight quick start, and five what's called integrator. So generally the way that we look at this so when we're dealing with other implementers or coaches you know and sometimes even our clients have taken it you know you know that you're dealing with a fact finder versus a quick start now intuitively a fact finder is going to be more left brain more analytical more logical they gather the facts first right they they're operating more on logic whereas the quick start is operating more on emotion more creative more mercurial you know more like you know fire ready aim as to ready aim fire the follow through is as it sounds as well, right? You know, you know, organize the ability to deliver on what they say. Whereas, you know, when you're low on the follow through, you typically forget you're scatty, you know, you're you're not so good on that execution. You need that structure. 
And the integrator one is, you know, needing to kind of build models and visualize and understand the bigger picture first. You know, like the like so it's interesting, whereas, you know, the fact finder and the follow through on the left, or at least the fact finders gathering all the facts to make a decision, you know, the 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 integrator wants to know that last part is how does it all work? What's the bigger picture? To what end? They need to, you know, they're not in the um remember we with crucial conversations we talk about content pattern relationships. They they're more like they're in the mousetrap as as opposed to, you know, the actual like evaluating something on its you know, on its merits and, and compartmentalizing as such. So I'm a three three eight five, um, and you know that helps. Like, it helps me understand myself, but also helps other people understand me when they're dealing with a high, you know, quick start versus uh, a low fact finder or low follow through. So I hope today has been interesting, and you've uh, you you got some, you know, um, this whole concept of getting naked. Um, for those of you that are part of small or medium businesses or growing businesses, it's a great way to reflect if you're members of that leadership team, if you're a founder, you know, whether this resonates with you, whether you are in fact, you're saying this is me or this isn't me, or this could be me or this should be me, or I want this to be me. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. And I feel like, um, unless people want to take to the stage, you know, and, uh, in true kind of AMA fashion, uh, we can probably finish this book if you like. So have a wonderful day, everybody. Um, and I will, um, will, um, have a wonderful day and I will see you all soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. This podcast is heard along the marketing podcast network for more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.